Hello and welcome to the Toast Podcast with me, Laura Barton. For our sixth series, we've collaborated with Yorkshire Sculpture Park for wide-ranging conversations with six of Britain's most exciting sculptors. In 2020, Kadisha Coakley was the recipient of the Yorkshire Graduate Award. A mature student and mother of two by the time she enrolled at Sheffield Hallam University, her work, from printmaking to photography and sculpture, explores race and culture through reconsidering familiar objects, symbols and patterns, from the colonial implications of the fleur-de-lis to the ritual braiding of hair among Afro-Caribbean women. In April, she joined me from Sheffield to discuss her work, the joy of later learning and the desire to decolonise the landscape. So you moved up 11 years ago. How did you end up in Sheffield? Uh, my mum was born in Sheffield, so my grandma came from Jamaica to Birmingham and then to Sheffield to settle where she had all of her eight children. My mum was one of two that moved to London when she was quite young, actually, when she was 15. Um, and then I was born in London, always visited Sheffield to visit family, spend lots of summers here. So it was like a second home. But for myself, um, just needed a big change for myself and my two children. And the cost of living and everything just kind of aligned. <laughs> so it was Sheffield I decided to move to. And what were the fundamental differences that struck you between living in the north and living in the south at that point? The pace of life. I found myself when I first moved here doing a whole day's work in like two hours because I'm just moving at this speedy pace of London and getting through. Um, just in, in terms of myself, I felt more of an inner calm. Um, I realised that once I moved out of London that you, you, it's almost like you have to have an armour on to just navigate the city. You know, you stand in queue for the bus, everybody runs past you and the bus will close and move. Whereas in Sheffield, you can queue up and people are polite, more polite. And, you know, it's, it's a rat race down there. So that alone made, um, made a huge difference. But what fundamentally what it did was allow me to kind of take up my studies, the cost of living, not having to work to kind of just be paying bills. And also um, for the children as well, it was a lot more calm for them. So yeah, that's fundamentally what it allowed me to do was to come here and take up my studies um, because I was yeah more financially stable. What had you been doing up until that point? Had you been working in the arts? So no, I did art and design at school. I did GCSE art. When I left school, I did a couple of courses, but always wanted to do art. I did a BTEC in art and design, but almost, well, I did the course and then I fell pregnant with my first child, my son. He's now 17. I felt like I had to leave. I kind of just abandoned the course, but the course leaders were fantastic. Um, they were like, get back in here. We'll support you through it. Um, so he was, I pretty much finished my course two days before my first, like my first child was born. And then really life just, gets in the way I suppose you know you're raising children so there was a huge gap between um, my BTEC. The only other thing I did between then that was more art based was I was um, a vol volunteering for visual merchandising at Debenhams um, as I was already working there. I think I got to a point where I where they kind of said to me that without qualifications you're not going to get much further in this field you'll always be on a certain level so that again was a prompt for me to kind of align things so that I could take up these things because I just kept going back to it with all the jobs I'd worked since I was 15. I'd never been out of employment, but all the jobs that I did were never anything that I, I loved. It was just to pay bills, really. And how did it feel then to go back and go to Sheffield Hallam University? It was, um, 
it was like a, so initially I started I did my access at Hillsborough College first so I did that just to bring my skills back up because I hadn't been in education or in the art or design world for a long time um, so did that course for two years and it completely changed my idea of what I wanted to do in art and I really started to take up printing printmaking I really found a I love for that when I was at Hillsborough and that's actually where my wallpaper designs first began and the first production of those um, and then I moved straight on to there to do the BA at Hallam with that kind of in hand and it kind of spread out from there but it's been the best thing I've ever done <laughs> if I'm honest. It's been a challenging space for many reasons but in terms of right time for me. I don't think I could have done that this any other time. Um, everything happened for its reason um, for me to be ready to be at Hallam at the time. And like I said, my children are a bit more grown, so less hands-on, so I'm not having to be, you know, hovering over them so much. <laughs> so it's been, it's been fantastic. Talk me through that love of printmaking and how it makes you feel when you're doing it. And what is it, what is it about the process that feels special to you? So print, um, for me, all of my work always print starts in the print room. My, my sculptures, my wallpapers, everything I do, the very beginning of my process is always in the print room. The process of print is just, uh, even as I say, I can, smell the, I can smell the chemicals, I can smell the ink. It just, is, it calms me and it allows an amount of control within the work, but not so much that... I can kind of you can control the work so much sometimes that you kind of lose it and there's so much uncertainty um, and it allows me to extract textures and add colour that are really important to my work where sculpture doesn't quite have all of those layers I can get the texture but unless I artificially add colour it is what it is what you and I'm not quite I'm not really interested in colouring my bronzes like that so for me print holds all of all of that within the space but I, I kind of I spend a lot of time I'll probably spend about a week just constantly going through prints and just exhaust the the plate with various colours and layers and just kind of let the unpredictability come out of it and yeah I, it's 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 a calm place <laughs> it's a lovely place um I love being in the print room yeah <laughs> and how did you then move from that into sculpture what did you what led you in that direction so again, within the colour and the texture, another need or a want for me is is touch and tactility. And you don't you can get some of that off print, but to hold something and to feel the texture of the grain of all the braid and that and lost wax um, casting just extracts that beautifully, and it kind of satisfies that <laughs> urge of wanting to have you know that different layers of connecting with work I appreciate that when works in galleries that you don't tend to you're not allowed to touch them I would let everyone touch my work but for insurance purposes <laughs> we're not allowed to um, but it's that other layer of the other layer of experience for me that you know you visual the smell and just being able to touch that I, I link it back to childhood I link it back to many things and yeah, lots of memories that I have. So sculpture is definitely vital um, within the process. Did you immediately feel confident in that medium or did it feel more daunting? Um, I think once I decided that 
I am not going to be constrained by um, traditional sculpture techniques and process. From where I learned the process, so in the foundry, Carl, he, I say he's my guru. He he was just very encouraging in just allowing me to just explain what I wanted to achieve and giving me the tools to do it. And working outside of this typical what sculpture should be. No, I don't feel like I ever did feel intimidated by the space um, at all. There is still a back and forth that I have with him and others about me polishing my bronzes and that very shiny traditional bronze that you get because generally when I work, the work is as it comes out. The most I do is just kind of fettle, which is take off the sharper edges, but the colour is true and the finish is as true as it can be. I'm not interested in in making it <laughs> in making it that so that's probably the only thing that I go back and forth on but yeah I think just losing what the traditional ways of what can be pro- imposed on you about what sculpture should be or how it should be constructed um I just kind of forgot about all of that <laughs> um and probably relate more to African traditional ways of sculpture because that fits more in the hybridity of materials and the techniques and the tools that they use. I really like arts and craft and a lot of my sculpture, I try to kind of play between those two fields where you find that when things are looked at as arts and craft, they're dismissed or kind of looked only in a view to kind of study and not for the beauty, not for the techniques and not for all of that that goes into them. So I enjoy kind of straddling those two points of arts and craft, fine art, what is it? Who decides? <laughs> How do you decide? <laughs> do you know, and all of that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Mm. And why do you think that is? Is it because it's more of a domestic sphere than arts and crafts? Um, I think that's just what's culturally right for myself. Um, I find that within, that's a huge aspect that kind of excludes a lot of black artists, I feel, is that we have traditional skills and things. And like I said, they're often kind of categorised or put in museums and decided that they needed they need to be studied. And for me, that's how I was brought up. We, we're not of one, you know, there's multiple influences that I've received along the way. My ancestors have, so it doesn't feel right for me to try and have a purity, should we say. That I think plays across all of my practice. Why one says to me, what do you practice? And I go print, photography, sculpture. And it's like, choose one. And it's like, I can't. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to choose one for me because it wouldn't be a full expression of who I am. So that's why I think I kind of, yeah, it is what's not, just comes natural <laughs> to me. It's really interesting to me that actually various people we've spoken to for this series, mm. women, have said very similar things, that they like that multidisciplinary idea of assembled sculpture rather than one item. I think that's interesting. What I was saying about the arts and crafts thing was not that it appealed to you because it was domestic, but that people look down upon it because it is domestic, because it's familiar, because it's not considered serious, um, in the same way that certain writers, female writers, are looked down upon because they choose to write about the domestic sphere. I feel like lots of people actually don't actually associate my work with that which I find interesting because it does come from that predominant so the wallpapers are highly influenced by my mum and the interiors that I grew up with you know flocked velvet wallpapers and all of the stuff that we have um so that is very interior yeah I'd say it's it comes from that but I don't find that one's commentate on it so much maybe the wallpapers 
but I don't think people see it. And I, I do I do wonder why that is, because um, <laughs> I see it, because <laughs> I see it, yeah. You said about the African tradition of sculpture. Were you yeah. already well-versed in that by the time you started studying it? Not at all. Um, so that in itself is, yeah, interesting. So that's where I speak about it being almost a difficult space in terms of studying, because none of my lecturers, all of our lecturers are white middle class, which is no problem. But then when we're being told that they teach from your own perspective and from your own interest, that kind of excludes a lot of my interests and where I'm coming from. So particularly I had one lecturer that really helped just kind of guide me and open my eyes up to a lot. It's been so fantastic, the learning. It's all been in this space. So that's why I can't take away from Hallam in that sense. But it has all been within this space and started with the Benin bronzes really and learning more about those and just kind of finding my way but in the university space and I don't feel like I would have done that or had that opportunity to do that in my life (laughs) if I didn't put myself in that space so I'm eternally grateful (laughs) for sure. And what did you learn about African tradition and sculpture. So in terms of the Benin bronzes, so again, talking about the hybridity of the materials that I know they're referred to as bronzes, but they're made up of multiple materials, you know, the ivories and the coppers and etc. But I think principally for with them, it was to do with that exaltation of arts and craft, because it is their arts and craft, and they used bronze to kind of you know, replicate that, which is all all bronzed and that is seen and how that is seen in the art world as the best way to kind of exemplify someone um, in that sense. And then also the whole history with how they were taken and where they remain, it's very current. So it kind they are the ones that I feel kind of it's always where I go back to. It holds so much within the stories and the work that they have. And you were the recipient of the Yorkshire Graduate Award, yes. weren't you? Tell us about that. Yeah, the Yorkshire um, Sculpture Graduate Award. Um, it feels so long ago now. <laughs> it's like so much has happened <laughs> since then. Um, it's been, it was really fantastic. Again, it wasn't out at the best time to try and execute a lot of the stuff I wanted to do because of COVID. But um, YSP have been fantastic and so accommodating. To be fair, I only just finished it because they allowed me to kind of continue with the work. So having access to their workshop was fantastic and just seeing the work on site. It was full circle for me because Sculpture Park was one of the first places I visited when I came to Sheffield. And when I walked through there, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Um, it was Yinka Shanabari had one of his works and I've never experienced artwork like that in such an open, unprejudicial like circumstance where there's no, it's not in a white cube. You kind of make your own connections with the environment and the work. And I was determined from there that I wanted to be at Yorkshire Sculpture Park, <laughs> to be fair, and set my eyes on them in terms of that. Um, so it, it was fantastic to be chosen for the award. Yeah, it, it was great to just get my my foot in the door and they'll never get rid of me now. <laughs> I'm sure they know that, <laughs> which is cool. Can you tell us about the work that you wanted to do for that? Was that the bronzes, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was... It, I, I think the work was no issue to be made. It was more because I wanted to be testing things with um, with the public 
And that's where it was getting difficult because obviously for a, during my time, it was still restricted access and then it, was, um, it wasn't open. So a lot of the things I wanted to plan to interact with the public um, in terms of the work, like positioning sculptures in the situ of um, Henry Moore, as I kind of wanted to kind of provoke that conversation about where he speaks of primitive art, again, in terms of where I'm coming from and how that's been categorised and where that comes from. But it will happen. <laughs> it's going to happen at some point, I believe, in a different way. But um, that was the thought. And I just wanted to kind of play around that idea, to be fair. And when you first read about the primitive art thing, how did that make you feel? bit insulted <laughs> to be fair yeah insulted because that's that thing it's that distancing and and it's this thing like I said it's that thing is that why can't you just look at it for what it is <laughs> you know and it's just this this constant distancing and then taking from that so-called primitive and kind of using it for yourself but then not really referring to it with the glory it should have been given it it's it's a back and forth <laughs> yeah so yeah, and I think, yeah, within my practice, it, it's still there, that that response to those comments, I would say. In what direction have you found your work moving through this process and this work with Yorkshire Sculpture Park? So in terms of, uh, um, I think I'm moving probably away slightly from, well, I say figurative because they are based on me, my sculptures, um, the headscarves and my head moulds that were, that were modelled on myself. But but still in the print photography and sculpture. But I think the essence of what I'm trying to do now is probably more moved away from me and my identity in that way and more in a holistic way, sorry. So I would, how can I explain? I still can't even articulate it myself. <laughs> I'm still trying to work it out. Um, it's based around horticulture and again this issue of us we are re trying to repatriate you know goods like I said in terms of the Benin bronzes trying to get them returned and things but in, in the aspect of knowledge and like for instance I'm starting off with like what the, the breadfruit have you ever heard of the breadfruit before okay so that is my point of start um, which again was news to me that that was was taken from Tahiti, replanted in the West Indies, etc., to as a cost-effective way to feed slaves. So it was like, wow, I eat that still every day. And it's like all of these things are still within our remit, still within our space. But the, how do you how do you give back to that? How do you repatriate that? How can you repatriate a seed that was taken from somewhere that you've taken it, but the knowledge has been left, but somehow it ends up in the west so yeah it's just really around around that I'm moving into but yeah I'm still trying to feel it out um I think my plan is it's been a heck of a two years 18 months in terms since your, the graduate award I haven't stopped exhibiting I haven't stopped you know and it's been fantastic but what I've found is within that space I'm not doing as much making as I love to do because just time hasn't allowed it. Um, so after the next few months, I'm really looking forward to spending a lot of time to kind of just get back into my making and make my decisions through the making because a lot of it has been theoretical and visits and images and it cannot be resolved until the making is done. So that's kind of the new area I suppose I'm working, I'm working towards, but the execution I expect will always be through print 
photography and sculpture will always play a part in that. I'm really fascinated by this breadfruit thing because there's quite a movement at the minute to decolonise the garden and to decolonise the horticultural world, isn't there? What else have you discovered and how differently has it made you see the world? Um, When I first read this stuff, I was just... It was amazing. It was like... It was like a sudden magic eye (laughs) take on the world. I saw everything completely differently. Exactly. Um, So it's again, I've I've visited, I'm visiting Kew Gardens because by all accounts, those seeds were taken there and cultivated. And yeah, it just, yeah, it's just amazing. Like I could get lost in research and that is also a problem I have. I could just pick a pick a pick away at all of these things. And it's just so revealing and just again along the way um, I think it's taken me so much time because I'm learning so much about myself too because these are things that I don't even know you know within my own atmosphere so yeah it's (laughs) it's a journey Um, I'm just a bit up and down with it but yeah like I said how do we give back to that how do we embrace that knowledge in communities so that we know where these things are coming from etc it's yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know how we're going to do, but yeah, I hope the work will help to lend towards that. Um, I don't know, have you read Horticultural Appropriation? Yeah, <laughs> that just, yeah, fantastic. Um, so yeah, I'm just, like, got loads, just I'm picking loads of things and I think I'm coming to that point where I'm going to be bringing them together. But again, through the work, um, it needs to be through the making. Tangentially, I know I've read you speaking about this before, but how does it feel to have work outside and not to be in this gallery setting, to be in the landscape and in a landscape familiar to you growing up, but it wasn't the landscape really of your childhood? How did that feel? Um, I still don't believe it. (laughs) I doubt it every day, like what's happening. It's almost like I'm always looking to the next and what I'm trying to do is to kind of live in that moment and because it's so easy to be constantly working but not actually realizing that I'm doing the thing that I love and I've always wanted to do so it's taken me a while to realize that I've I've got to this space I love being outside compared to um like still studying etc like I've been encouraged a number of times to do my course part-time so I'm there longer or go on to do the PhD but what I have learned is that's being in that environment is very unnatural and you don't get the truth of the work until you put it outside in the public and the public will tell you what the work is saying, you know. Within an establishment, we're all arts, we're all arts speak, we're all, you know, trying to fight and we will pull something out of nothing <laughs> a lot of the times, you know. And it can be, it can overinflate your ego, I think, to a point where you go outside, I think, and it's like, well, that's not really doing that. So... I really enjoy that challenge of being in all these different spaces, like in the larger organisations like YSP, at Quench, Margate, which is more, you know, grassroots. And yeah, so it's really interesting to be navigating all these different spaces, but fantastic. But yeah, like I said, it's just, is this really happening? <laughs> it's like I never, as much as I've always wanted to do it, I just, I don't know if I ever saw it happening. Um, I remember my art teacher telling me at school, that you needed to die before you made any work as an artist. So that really put me off <laughs> for a, 
long time in terms of well I need to feed myself and so it's a hustle and it's not one you know a direct route which is fair and um, which is fine and I was prepared for that there's a lot of various other things it's not just make work and at the moment and that's all my income but I'm happy to say that everything that I'm doing is all around my art interest and all feeding in, into my practice which I think I'm very lucky to be able to say because a lot of people have to be working supermarkets or other jobs to kind of just subsidize what's going on so I'm very grateful that everything I'm doing feeds into my practice so yeah it's a very great position to be in. <laughs> and Yorkshire itself and I'm thinking of Sheffield and the way that the city sits in the landscape and you can see the hills how's that fed into your work yeah. if at all? Again, um, in, especially in terms of this new project. So within it, I've joined this group, a walking group called Peaks of Colour. Again, and it's addressing how we resonate with the landscape and the landscapes that have so much traumas as well as joys. But I love living in Sheffield. I love that I'm so close to the country and so close to, you know, 50 minutes drives and you're in the hills, which is fantastic. But I think it provokes it provokes a lot because <laughs> you can't look at it in its beauty completely without unpicking the layers of what these lands hold as well. So now it's starting to feed into into that and just walking through the land and just feeling what you feel in those spaces. And it's interesting to, yeah, to go through. It's a, yeah, it's a great process. So it is only now, like I said, I'm, I'm starting to really absorb that into my work. For those listeners who aren't familiar with, with the history of the landscape, could you just give us a little information around that? So I was, so, no, so in terms of generally, obviously, Sheffield's landscape, particularly for myself, I think I connect it in terms of my granddad was a miner in Sheffield. I also I still got much research to do and um, pick on that even still, but... Just in terms of the relationship that he had with his employers, the work, the labour, the treatment, that's not indicative of um, Sheffield landscapes. You know, that is a story that can be retold in many cities, many countries in terms of black labour and how that's used and how far or not far we've come in terms of a community in Sheffield because I find it very interesting that... Sheffield particularly has had a huge, like I said, my grandmother came here in the 50s, you know, and she wasn't the first, there were many here before, but yet it doesn't seem to be ingrained into Sheffield's history. Um, I'm working alongside ones that are looking at the archives at the moment in Sheffield, and it's just connecting these things and the things that started to kind of unfold as well is that in terms of Sheffield being... It's been well known to be a city of abolitionists, which is true, very true. But then there's also a lot of things that have been left dormant, hidden, kind of suppressed within archives that relate to the land, that relate to the manufacturing of things that aided (laughs) slavery. So you may not have been the ones that were holding the slaves, but you made the nails that, you know, went in the ships, you made the hose, you made the, the cuffs and things like that. So all of these things are within these spaces of these derelict, you know, buildings that are within the landscape. So it's all, yeah, kind of just threading together for me um, at the moment. So that for me personally is where, yeah, Sheffield Landscape ties in for me. That's brilliantly explained. Thank you. Um, and what about sculptures in Sheffield? Are there any 
big sculptures that stand out to you in the city? Not many monuments. Then they've not got a lot of monuments. But I think the issue that we have is in terms of legacy of street names, for example, that are named after slave traders. But the art. There's work being done to make it more identifiable for the city. There's work that I'm involved in that's like more representative of the city as well. But what is here isn't representative or very well displayed, I would say. So there's work to be done. <laughs> and then lots of people who went there to start careers in the arts and media. Um, yeah. And a lot of them have yet to maybe surface and so maybe it just takes time. This is the thing, yeah, this um, it's a shame because they have a fantastic art community here. There is a great art community and I love it here. So, for example, my application for platform at site, I kind of had to say, like, there's things that you guys need to do in order to retain your artists here. You find, your art, you find they work here, they will study, they will take lots of grants, but when it comes to needing to really sustain your art practice, they're not doing very well in that. It's a lot to do with emerging artists and, you know, everything's a flash in the pan and it's like the career goes longer than a couple of years. So they are doing a lot of work that kind of builds on that, that kind of supports artists as they go further um, into their career too to stay here because there's this, it's a great community um, and I'd be quite devastated if I had to move my studio and myself outside of here because it couldn't I couldn't sustain my, my practice in Sheffield. So it's coming, <laughs> it's coming <laughs> slowly. <laughs> Could I ask, you've got two teenage children. How's it been for yes. them to see you suddenly taking this career direction that was totally different and even to starting studying just as they've yeah. been studying? <laughs> And then to see how well you've done. Um, to be fair, teenagers, the kids are not bothered. <laughs> no, until that, until YSP made a difference, actually, um, when they came to see the exhibition at Yorkshire Sculpture. Like, they always see me pottering away and working and stuff. And it's like, that's just mum, isn't it? Mum's just doing work. And they see the work at home when I'm making. But to see it exhibited and stuff... Yeah, it was the first time my son was like, I'm very proud of you, mum, which touched my heart. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you very much. And... I hope just to be an example for them to never let your dreams go. If it's something that, you know, you keep coming back to, make arrangements. Because otherwise, what, what's the point? What's the point <laughs> of things if you can't do, you know, what, what you love? So I hope for them that's an example at the least. <laughs> and if you hadn't gone back and embraced this side of yourself, what would have been missing in your life? How would it have felt? I can't even think of what I would have been doing otherwise. Like, I'd just be doing jobs to pay the bills and kind of raising the children. I'm so glad I made the sacrifices to do it because I can't think of doing anything else. <laughs> yeah. You started later than lots of artists and lived a full life beforehand. Has this helped or hindered, do you think? No, I would definitely say it's helped. Um, again, just reflecting back on the experience at university um, as one of probably only four black students in the space, having that life experience for me before, I it made me a lot more assured of who I am and the things that I wanted to do. I really looked at the younger ones with dismay that had come out of college straight into university and college university is that place where you usually find yourself but how can you find yourself when nobody else around you really reflects you so I saw the struggle that they were having it was that personal struggle struggle as well as just trying to navigate 
the art scene as well. So that's why I say definitely right time, right place. I would I wouldn't change it for the world how it happened and later on in life because for sure my experiences have yeah made this experience a lot better for me. Toast podcasts are presented by me, Laura Barton, and produced by Jeff Bird. Toast is a British clothing and lifestyle brand that aspires to a slower and more thoughtful way of life. To hear more episodes from this and former series, head to Toast Magazine, which can be found at www.toa.st. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do like and subscribe. <laughs>